John Wesley has this quote, and, and you might know it. Wesley said, give me 100 men or women or both who only love God with all their hearts and hate sin with all their heart, and we will shake the gates of hell and bring the kingdom of God in one generation. I don't know about you, but I really like that quote. Could you imagine? The truth is, we're, we're over 100 people here. And when we add our friends online, who knows what our number is. But imagine if we became a people who only loved God with all of our hearts. And we hated sin with all of our heart. What would happen? What would happen? Walter Rosenbush has this quote, the kingdom of God is not a matter of getting individuals to heaven, but transforming the life on earth into harmony with heaven. I want my life. I want your life. I want our life to be in harmony with heaven. Don't you? My prayer this week for you, as I take time and, and I pray over us, I pray daily that you would have encounters with the Spirit, that you would begin to notice a transformation, not only in your heart, but in your thinking, that you wouldn't just settle for the first thought but that you would notice that the Spirit is calling something out in you. That your heart is breaking just a little bit more. That you're noticing people who need prayer. You know, do you, when you drive by and people are walking on the road, do you ever just pray for them? We have this practice when, and it started when I was driving the girls to school, if we saw the ambulance or the police or the fire, that was prayer request time. And we knew, and I'm seeing heads nodding. You guys do the same thing. We pray. We pray for the scene that they're going to. We pray for those in the vehicle, those first responders. Let's be people that even as we see a mom and her kids walking down the sidewalk, that Lord, bless them, meet their needs. So we are in this series about God's kingdom now, kingdom life now, kingdom life in us. And to live in God's kingdom here and now is to simply welcome his rule and reign into every area of our life. And boy, that sounds so easy. And it's not so easy to do. When the Roman Empire was in its heyday, it was this huge kingdom. And it kept getting bigger. The Caesars continually would send out armies to take new territory. And when the new territory would come under Roman control, the Romans would use force to try and make that new territory look as much like Rome as possible. They would build Roman temples and institute Roman religion, which would involve the worshiping of the Caesar. They would institute Roman education, arts, and culture. They built Roman baths. They would do everything that they could do to make their new territory look exactly like Rome. Why? They did it so that if the Caesar ever came to visit, he would feel right at home and recognize the territory as his own. That is what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is when everything in heaven is instituted here on earth. So that God's government, God's teaching, 
God's worship, his glory, his power are manifested here on earth. It is when earth looks like heaven. Now, we are at war, and we've been talking about that war. And so earth won't completely look like heaven till it's the new earth. But little pieces of heaven can exist on this earth in you and I. When everything about us looks like him. His teaching, his law, his heart, his power. The manifestation of his spirit in us. So we're going to go to a text this morning, but I want to actually discuss two models of learning. So I want you to lean in this morning for a minute. I want to talk about the Greek model of learning which, you know, hint, we're all stuck in. And it impacts how we understand this book versus the Hebraic way of learning. It's two different systems. And when we understand it, there's going to be some aha moments. So, in a Greek model, it requires no examination of the life of a teacher or the life of a disciple or student, okay? You're all like, that's kind of true of today, right? We've seen some headlines of what some teachers have looked like. There's no examination of the teacher's life. It doesn't matter. They're just there to teach. The style of learning is completely mental. It's all intellectual. Greek teachers in the Greek system, they teach their students how to manipulate abstract ideas. Calculus. <laughs> Physics. Double eh. Chemistry I like. See, the Greek teacher does not teach the student how to live. They don't care. Just learn to manipulate abstract ideas. And so to pass an examination in the Greek system, you must show that you can articulate the system of ideas or manipulate the ideas in the same manner the teacher did. So those of you who are in school, it's regurgitating information, right? You have to look at the spelling list, memorize the spelling list, and reproduce the spelling list. Learn the mathematical formula and be able to produce it on your own. And there's a place for that. But the Hebrew model is so different. See, the subject of study for the disciple is the life of the rabbi. So already, it's different. In the Greek model, it doesn't matter how the teacher lives. In the Hebrew model, the life of the teacher is the subject of learning. Aha. See, the lessons to be learned as a student in the Hebrew model is how to live like the rabbi how to live like the teacher. The Hebrew method of learning is not limited to a classroom or a single place. It's a teacher, student, rabbi, disciple living together, doing life daily together. It's not an 8.30 to 3.15 classroom. It's a way of living to pass an examination, a Hebrew student must demonstrate not that they can manipulate information and regurgitate facts. The student in the Hebrew model must demonstrate that they can do what the teacher does. 
that they can do what the rabbi does. The most important skill in the Hebraic model is for a, for a disciple is imitation. The Hebrew disciple is not just to learn the teachings of the rabbi. They are to become the rabbi. The goal of the rabbi is to have disciples. The goal of the teacher is to have students walk as they walk, to live as they live. Discipleship is not simply about what you know. It's about how you live. So already you see, we kind of got it a little bit wrong. We know we're to live like Jesus. We, we, know, we know that is information. And I believe in being a student of this book. I believe in learning it. But it's not just about learning it. We have to live it. See, we could miss out on all God has by 11 inches, the distance between your brain and your heart. You can, you can know everything. You could maybe have more scripture verses memorized than anyone else and not live like the rabbi. So it's important for us to embrace a paradigm shift. That yes, we need to become students of the word and we need to be digging deep in learning God's word, in prayer, in all of it. But it needs to be how we live, not what we do. Are you with me? So Jesus came from heaven to earth and he took on human flesh to destroy the work of the devil. Because there is a war. A war that existed before the creation of the world as we know it. We unpacked that significantly last week. See, Satan's plan is to deny Yahweh his desire to be in relationship with the ones he created in his own image. We tend to think it's all about us. But really, we are caught in the middle of the worst supernatural warfare there is. Where God's enemy is trying to steal God's glory. And he'll use you to do it. Where God's enemy wants to take the things that God loves away from him. And he'll use you to do it. He'll use me to do it. So the enemy of our souls, the one who hates the king, is steadfastly keeping humans in the shadows, feeding our desires of selfish ambition, while allowing us these glimmers of selflessness. Allowing us to elevate the human spirit in this triumphant way that requires nothing of God. Look at what people can do if they come together. And God gets no glory. Because if we can believe in ourselves, then we don't need him. See, the enemy's main objective has always been to corrupt humanity and to direct us away from Yahweh. And Jesus came to save us from the kingdom we were born into because this kingdom, the world that you and I have been born into, is under the control of the enemy. The prince of darkness controls the world in which we live in. So how do we receive the kingdom of God here and now? Well, the kingdom of God is where the rule and reign of God exists. You and I 
have the opportunity to be these little pockets of heaven here and now. These little pockets of what it's supposed to be. See, life with Jesus here on this earth is to model the life Jesus had while on this earth. It's not about just studying what he did. It's about living as he lived. See, it was never the plan that we would only speak about Jesus. It was never the plan that we would only teach classes about how he lived so that you would have all the information. The plan has always been that as you learn who he is, you will become like him. We've messed this up a little bit, haven't we? We've become hoarders of information. Hoarders of information. But we're bankrupt in transformation. And that's because we've come at it the wrong way. It's about how you live. See, last week we read from Luke's gospel about praying for our enemies and blessing those who curse us and doing good to those who wrong us. And you're lying to me if you say that comes easy to you. It might come easier to you than me. You might be very much more saintly than I. But this is not easy. It is easy to know it. It's easy to recite the words from Scripture. Gets a little less easy the older you get. But the challenge is living it. I was at Costco. The Lord loves to just bring real-life illustrations into my life. I think it's just like pop quizzes. How's she doing? So I, when we were away at a district event two weeks ago, there was a message that talked about how we lack patience and we're, you know, we're racing and we always go to the shortest line. And, and I'm trying not to do that. So Daryl and I were at Costco and I didn't find the shortest line and I, I got in it and two people in front of me, their cart was overflowing, but the person in front of me was carrying stuff in their arms. So that's a little bit of a win. And there I am. Daryl and I think Julia was with us. They go and get ice cream. And I'm in line. Minding my own business. And the Lord decides to pop quiz me. Because this gentleman, bless his heart, <laughs> with an overflowing cart. I am not kidding you. This has never happened to me. That's why I know it was a pop quiz. He comes in, there's space, because I'm trying to give space. Like, we're, we're not close together anymore. We're still kind of, you know, minding the gap. So there's space between me and the lady in front of me, and he just does not even acknowledge my existence with his heaping to overflowing car, and he butts right in front of me. <laughs> and then he refuses to look at me. Like, he knows what he's doing, but he is not acknowledging my existence. It was like I was his mother. <laughs> I'm annoyed. Like, I wish I could tell you that it was just, you know, I just started blessing him. I was so irritated. Because I thought the nerve. Like, it wasn't like it was jam-packed. Just go to a different line. Like, he butted in front of me. And then, in God's grace and his mercy, he feels the need to point out that it's not about head knowledge. It's about how I live. And I had to pray. I really wanted this guy to look at me, though. I really kind of wanted him to see that I was annoyed, even though I was blessing him. <laughs> but the Lord did not give me that privilege. 
So when, when Daryl came by, I, I did, I confess, I said, he butted. Look at that. He just, he just drove right in. But I was reminded, well, this guy was not my enemy. The Holy Spirit quickly put on my heart, you don't know what his story is. And if he needs to cash out quicker than you, since I own your time, you let him go. And so I stood there. And as he took about two years to unload his very full cart, <laughs> I thanked the Lord for him. I thanked the Lord that he used this gentleman to show me that there's still work to do. To make sure that I don't become self-righteous. In God's mercy and love for me, he reminded me that I have a lot of head knowledge. But as his daughter, and how I live out his life in me, there's still work to be done. And it was in his mercy that it was in a Costco line. This morning, we are going to look at John 12, verses 24 to 26. Now, I'm going to tell you ahead of time, this is going to hurt. Maybe a little bit more than my Costco line. These are the words of the Lord. John 12, verses 24 to 26. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, keyword, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Anyone, that means you and me, anyone who wants to serve Jesus must follow him. He says, because my servants must be where I am, and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. But anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it. Loved ones, this is the call. The call to die. In order to live. And this is a call that is profoundly difficult. And it is completely opposite to the message of this world. And the only way we can do it is by yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit. The gift is, and you've heard me say this almost probably every week, that if you come to faith in Jesus, if you believe that he is everything he says he is, that he is Lord and Savior, and you believe that and confess with your lips, then you are invited into an intimate relationship with him. And the Lord so beautifully and so generously takes up residence in us by his spirit as the guarantee of our inheritance. And see, without that, we can believe all the right things. But until we yield to the rule and reign of Jesus in our own life, we're not filled with the Spirit yet. And you can't live dead without him. So 
So this death that you and I are being called to is a death that we do with Jesus. And Jesus says that no one, actually, let me back up. In order to truly live, you have to die. You have to die to your rights. You have to die to believing that you deserve anything good. You have to die to your own personal sovereignty. Because it's no longer your life. Your time is not your time, it's his time. Your day is not your day, it's his day. Your heart, not your heart, it's to be his heart. And the challenge is that old self keeps liking to show its ugly face, especially in Costco lines. Jesus says that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be born again? This was language that we use. I grew up, I grew up in a world that had a lot of issues with those born again Christians. Because those born again Christians were different than the churchgoers. I'm glad. But being born again means to be born of the Spirit. It is to, to realize that God is for you and not against you. It's to realize that you're in, a sinner in need of a Savior. It's about a confession around that very thing, that God is God and you're not. That without help, you are stuck in your sin forever. Because your good will never be good enough to a perfect God. So when we come to that place and we acknowledge it and we confess with our lips and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we become born of the Spirit, born again. So then what do we die to? Well, we die to that sin nature we were born with. We die to living for ourselves. See, the life that we now live belongs to Jesus. You are no longer your own. I don't know how many years ago, but one morning I woke up and the prayer on my lips was, today I serve at the pleasure of my king. And I start every day with that. Before I open my eyes, my spirit has been trained to say, good morning, Lord. Today I serve at the pleasure of my king. Some days service is really hard. And some days service is amazing. But it's always at his pleasure. So we need to die in order to live. Die to ourselves. Die to the messaging of this world. In fact, we have to hate our lives in this world. So what does that mean? As you live life getting to know Jesus, and as you begin to build a relationship with the one who adores you, you begin to understand that you don't fit in this world. Because this world is not your home. See, you were, you were created for a person and a place. You were created for the king. And you were created for his kingdom. This world is governed by his enemy. So you were never created for this. That's why we feel so unsettled. See, there is a destiny and a purpose for you and for me that is beyond the realities of this life. So to live as Jesus did, we are not to hold tight to this life. As wonderful as it can be, we have to let go of our grip. This is not our home. You are here to serve at the pleasure of the king. 
and you will be here to serve as long as he asks you to. And then, in a glorious moment, your faith will become sight. And you will go home. I think when we hear those words, we all think, yes, that's what I want. But the Lord challenges me a lot on this. Because, see, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to see him. And my heart aches for that moment. But then I think of my girls and my husband. And letting go of this life is hard. And I'm supposed to love them. And they are God's greatest gifts to me. But there are times, and I confess this, that I think I love my family more than I love serving my king. I think that there are times where I hold tighter to these human gifts I have than I do to Jesus. And it hinders God's work. It hinders his work in my life. And it hinders the work he's asking me to do. See, living dead is really hard. But we must live as Jesus lived. We must follow him, not in part, but in full. All the way. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. The way of Jesus is sacrifice and servanthood. We are to continually lay down our, we are to continually laying down our lives daily. This afternoon is not your time to be had. It's his. I hope he lets you have a nap. See Every day, he's asking you to live as he lived, to model, to imitate his love to the world around us. Matthew 16 says, Jesus said this to his disciples, if any of you want to become my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Grace, can you bring me tissues, please? A.W. Tozer says that the reason why many of us are still in trouble, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because we have yet to come to the end of ourselves. We're still trying to give orders. We're still trying to interfere with God's work within us. Is that you? Are you still trying to give the orders? Are you negotiating with God? So, Lord, I will do this if you do that. We, we giggle because we know it's true, right? The words I'm about to say are very painful. They are painful to say and they are painful to hear. And please know that I'm saying these words because I love you. Following Jesus to the cross is the only way to be with him in heaven. Following Jesus to the cross is the only way to be with him in heaven. Not everyone who, not everyone goes to heaven when they die. And I know this world wants to tell you that that's not true. But not everyone goes to heaven. 
and this is painful, and this is hard. And we can have all the head knowledge we want about God. But if your heart is not under the rule and reign of his authority, then you do not know him. And if you do not know him, you will not spend eternity with him. Not everyone goes to heaven. And that should break your heart. It should hurt. And I think the enemy knows that that is a painful truth. So he's happy to deceive us to think that, oh, they were a good person. It's okay. Your good will never be good enough to a perfect God. Your good is tainted with sin. That is just the truth. Heaven is where God is. The kingdom of God is where God is. And no one just goes there. Not me, not you, no one. So you have to be rescued from the kingdom of darkness, which we are all born into. You have to accept the invitation of Jesus to be loved by him. You have to accept the invitation of Jesus to see yourself as a sinner, to know that your good is not good enough. And that the truth is, the bad in us is really bad. We, we are selfish people. Trying to tell God how to do things. So without the accepting of his invitation to be in relationship. Without a humility to see that unless God does something miraculous, you're stuck in the kingdom of darkness because no one just goes to heaven. No one just gets to enter the kingdom of God. You have to do it through Jesus. See, the Lord knows he knows so much more about me than you will ever know, and I thank him for keeping my secrets. He knows that my first instinct in the Costco line was not going to be one of grace. And yet he loved me enough to point it out and to say, hey, Crystal, let's do some work right here in the Costco line. He loves me so much that he is willing. When I was a kid's pastor, I would talk to kids about guilt gut. You all know what I'm talking about. You get it. He loves me enough to make me feel sick when I'm at a line with him. He loves me enough to withhold blessing if it's going to contaminate me because my heart's not right. He loves me enough to not let me get so puffed up that I think more of myself than I ought to. It's never been about being a good person. Because the scripture says, and you all know it, deep down in your bones, you know that you have sinned and you fall short of the glory of God. You know it. I don't have to convince you of that. You know it. And if you were thinking, I don't know, go find a two-year-old. Go find a three-year-old. We are sinful people. I, I have told this story, and maybe you've, you might not have heard it here, but some of you will have heard it. When, when Grace was born, she was like perfect. And I, and the Lord was working on my theology a little bit as a new mom. 
Because I started asking the Lord, how can this beautiful, perfect little gift be a sinner? And then she talked. (laughs) And then I knew. And it was a good lesson to be reminded that even that beautiful bundle of joy, this gift heaven sent, is full of sin and needs Jesus. Because no one, no one is good enough. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So without Jesus, we are lost and we are trapped in darkness. And often the truth is we can't see the darkness we're held captive in. Again, because the enemy likes to stroke our ego and say, look at you, well done. But really, you are lost. We can't see that we're enslaved to lies. We can't see that we take a lie and believe it as truth unless the Lord points it out to us. We are in desperate need of saving because we cannot save ourselves. So life with Jesus is not simply about head knowledge. It's not about knowing the right answers to the big questions. If you want to know if you're living dead, you can answer your own question by how you live. Do you live like Jesus? Do you live like the rabbi? Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. If you and I become really good friends and I start living life with you daily, by how you live, are you going to lead me to Jesus? Because see, that's what living dead looks like. In the world around us, the people who are watching us, by our thoughts, by our attitudes, by our actions, by our spending, are we pointing the way to the king? Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many will enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only few find it. And the Hebrew model of learning the goal of the rabbi is to have the disciples live like the rabbi. The disciples become exact copies of the rabbi. Living dead... Living dead to self is to be alive with Jesus. And it is evident when we look like him. Now, living dead, although painfully hard, is incredibly beautiful. Because when we live dead, we bear much fruit. Our lives will look different in every single area. Our marriages will look different. Our families will look different. Our bank accounts will look different. Our attitudes will be different than the whole world around us. And people will take notice that the kingdom of God is in their midst. When we live dead, we keep our lives for eternity. One day, we will live with God. One day, our faith will be sight. And there will be no sickness. And there will be no sorrow. And I don't understand that one. I do not understand how I will be sad anymore. I don't understand. But boy, I'm willing to embrace it. That one day... My heart won't ache. That one day this body won't get sick. That where faith and sight 
come together and we will sit literally at the feet of the Lord. Where we won't have to read the stories, we'll get to hear the stories. When we live dead, we live out a radically different life here and now with confidence and certainty that we are loved and we are secure. If you've not heard this, let me tell you, Jesus is sweet on me. I, I was having a conversation actually this week with Pastor Norma, and I said, you know what, I feel so spoiled by the Lord. Like, listen, my life is not perfect and easy, and my faith has cost some stuff. But he is so good to me. Like, he adores me like I'm the only one. And yet he loves you just the same way. He is sweet on you. Like you are the only one. See, we can display, we display our love for Jesus when we trust him and trust his promises above all else. William Law has this quote. If you have not chosen the kingdom of God first, it will, it will in the end make no difference what you have chosen instead. If you do not choose the kingdom of God, whatever you choose instead of that is never going to matter. This is it. This is the way to life. So today is the day. This is the good news. His mercy is new every single day. And he gives us new opportunity. So today is that day. If you know Jesus, then this is the moment to sit with him and to let him show you the areas in your life that you need to die to in order to fully know his rule and reign. If you are not living your life for Jesus, <coughs> then today is your day. Today is the day you can choose him. Today is the day that you can discover for yourself. <coughs> Pardon me. Can I have my water? Today is the day. I'm going to lose my voice. Lord, help me. If you don't know him, today is your day to know him. If you're hearing this, it's because he loves you. Today is the day of new beginning. And it's simple. It's about acknowledging what you've heard is true. And it is about accepting the invitation to be in relationship with him. And if you know him, today is the day to be sure that his full rule and reign is in your life. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, and we're going to pray. So, Father God, today is your day. It's not our day. It's your day. And we are surrendered wholly and completely to you. No one has come on their own, but by your leading. So we thank you for faith. Lord, and I pray today that you would gift us with more faith 
faith to believe that all of your promises are yes and amen. Lord, faith to take the bold step to die in order to live. Lord, give us faith to recognize the lies of this world, the lies we tell ourselves. May we be a people who live dead to our old nature, dead to the lies of this world, so that we can live holy and completely surrender to you, our King. If you don't know him today, and you are feeling that pounding in your chest. But you don't know what to do next. It's so simple. And I would invite you to pray with me now. A prayer of faith, a prayer of confession and thanksgiving. That says, Lord, thank you for opening my eyes to see you. Thank you for loving me even though I'm a sinner. And today I ask for your forgiveness. And I accept your invitation for you to be my Lord and Savior. To make me new and to make me whole. And I pray this in faith, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that last prayer with me today and you're in the house, I would love for you to connect with me after the service. And if you are online, we invite you to connect with the church. Or if you know a believer, if you know a Christian in your life, call them now. Call them right now and let them know that you've been born again. That you've come to this saving faith in Jesus because all of heaven is celebrating with you today. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. May you be blessed, church, as you serve at the pleasure of our King this week. Amen.